Welcome to the C3 Church Noosa podcast. Stay tuned for this week's message. Father, let it be a heart cry this morning. You are worthy. You're worthy of our song. You're worthy of our praise. You're worthy of our adoration. We're so grateful for the price your son paid on Calvary. We're so grateful that you didn't turn away, but you drew near. God, we're so grateful your son not only died, but he rose. That we would have life and a hope and a future. God, I thank you that in the blessing and in the breaking, you're worthy. That we would be a people and a church that will always be found to praise and worship. No matter the season, no matter the valley or mountain, God, you're worthy. Father, this morning we lift up the name of Jesus. Such a beautiful name. Such a wonderful name. Jesus. Come on, church, can we just give him praise this morning? If you believe he's worthy, he's done something in your life at some point. He's worthy. Hey, man, hey, well, you may be seated. Worship team, you're amazing. Thank you, as always, for leading us in such beautiful worship. Well, it is good to be in the house. It feels like a while since I've been able to share a word, but for those of you that don't know me, my name, along with my wife, Justin and, and Ange, we are part of the pastoral team here at C3 Noosa. Uh, we've been part of this beautiful family for nearly 10 years, and in that time, just seen God do some amazing Amazing things. So we are blessed. Um, this month, as you know, we've been talking around the word and, and, and worship. And over the last two weeks, I know that Russell and Pastor Christian have just done stellar jobs on uh, preaching the word. But this morning, I want to change focus a little bit. And I want to talk specifically around worship. Because as children of God, we have been designed with worship in our very DNA. In fact, It's our makeup and the very substance of who we are dictates that in order for us to fully function as the Creator has intended, we must worship. And not just in song, but in deed and in action, in the way that we live our lives, in the way that we relate to others. And the great Apostle Paul in Romans 12.1 tells us this, that therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. So worship is a response, really, and it's an echo to the grace and the mercy and the faithfulness and the power of an all-loving God. And so so um, powerful and so strong is that resonance of worship that the psalmist tells us in Scripture in Psalm 96, 11, this. He says, let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad, let the sea resound, and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant, and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. So the very earth vibrates with worship, giving praise to an almighty God. And because we have been designed for worship, because we have been built with this capacity and this ability to worship God, it's important to understand then that in the absence of God, we will still find something to worship. 
Right? It's our default setting, if you will, that in the absence of God, we will always find something to worship. And the Bible calls these other things idols, right? Things that begin to take the Almighty's place in our lives, things that want to raise themselves up above Jesus in our lives. And it only takes a minute to look out into the world to see thousands and millions of people all worshiping idols. Anything that wants to take God's place in your life, anything that is demanding first place in your life, we know, is an idol. The bad news, unfortunately, is that it is a condition you and I are going to have to manage this side of eternity. Right? It's, it's In this temporal life, it's just something we've got to deal with. And to add to that, you and I have an enemy that understands all too well the power of worship, yeah. And the significance of praise. And so the most effective way that he often comes to steal, kill, and destroy in your life is to come and steal, kill, and destroy your worship. Wow. To try and break connection between you and your creator. It's very important to understand who Satan was before he fell so you understand the significance he has to worship. And so Ezekiel 28.12 tells us this. It says, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. You were the seal of perfection full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you, carnelian, chrysolite, and emerald, topaz, onyx, and jasper, lapis lazuli, turquoise, and beryl. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I adorned you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created to wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God and I expelled you, guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. Satan wants the guardian cherub. What were cherubs created to do? They were created to worship found on the mountain of God, proclaiming his praise, understanding what it meant to exist in the very center of his glory, now thrown to earth, full of violence and malice, separated from his glory, is hell-bent on separating you and I from that very same presence. And so he comes quickly and quietly and re relentlessly and suddenly to do what? To raise up idols in your life, to, to throw into your life these burdens and temptations and distractions and struggles, all with the single purpose of trying to deform and mutate your God-given ability to worship, to make it something less. And if we don't, as believers, fill our lives with worship that is focused on and centered around exalting the name of Jesus, we will find something to worship. We will find idols out there in the world. We will draw them into our life and we will worship them. Be it money, be it success, be it status, be it wealth, be it even self. Yeah. You see, because if the enemy can redirect your worship, he can redirect your life. And if you think I'm being a tad dramatic this morning and you think maybe, well, Justin, that drive, I don't have any idols, that drive to worship idols that's not that prevalent in my life, I'm going to be okay. Let me just name drop the name King Solomon in the house this morning. And I want to tell you this. King Solomon was the wisest king that ever ruled. The Bible says that he was full of the wisdom of God. He was empowered, gifted, and anointed. And God himself says in the word that never again will there be someone so full of wisdom as King Solomon. He's the 
the author of most of the uh, wisdom literature that we read today in Scripture, he was a man who experienced firsthand the glory of God coming into the temple and just flattening the priests under that weight of his holy presence. He was the very son of David, who we know was called a man after God's own heart. Yet this is what the Scripture tells us in 1 Kings 11. It says, King Solomon, however loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them, because they will surely turn your hearts after other gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth, 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord, his God, as the heart of David his father had been. He followed Astrith, the goddess of the Sidonians, Moloch, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David his father had done. Here you have the wisest king who ever ruled, full of the wisdom of God, did evil in the eyes of the Lord did not follow the Lord completely, worshipped other gods. So where does that leave you and I, right? I say all this because I want you to understand this morning that there is a war being waged for the worship of God's people. There is a battle being fought in the spiritual realm that is real, it is fierce, and it's unrelenting for the object of your praise. And you and I, my friend, unfortunately are not immune to it. As I said before, because if the devil can redirect your workers for your worship and take your focus of God, he can redirect your life. If he can draw you out onto the altar of idolatry, he can get you out from under the hand of God where all of a sudden you become very vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. And I think for many of us, if we're honest, maybe that's experience that is actually not that unfamiliar to us. Maybe we found ourselves at some point or another in our lives being in that situation and that place. And if that is you, and you feel that maybe you've lost a bit of that worship or you've lost worship in your life, I want to encourage you, our friend, in fact, not that not all is lost because we serve a God who is a redemptive God. We serve a God that is faithful and he's able to help stoke again those embers of worship that actually sit very deep on the inside of you. But here's the thing, right? Worship is a byproduct of choosing to draw near to God. Worship is something that flows out of your life when you invite God into your life. And so many people struggle with trying to maintain a lifestyle of worship because they think that worship is driven by feeling or it's just a given or it's expectation or it's an obligation because of what I believe, therefore I must be a worshiper. But I want to shake your faith this morning and tell you just because you believe in a living God does not guarantee that you will experience genuine worship in your life. Hear me this morning. The devil believes in a genuine living God. He's seen God face to face. He's experienced God's presence, yet he chooses not to worship him. True worship is driven by a decision you and I make by faith to maintain a connection with the living God. And if you are trying to worship in your life based on how you're feeling in every given moment, based on what you know in your mind, I want to tell you that your worship is going to fall short, that it's going to feel empty, it's going to feel void of power and often misplaced, right? And the children of Israel were guilty of this very thing. Most of us know the Exodus story, that a whole generation of God's people enslaved for over 400 years in Egypt, all of a sudden begin to witness just 
this first hand, the supernatural power of God coming to deliver them. The great I am, right? We've got plagues. We've got um, angels of death. We've got the seas parting. We've got God going before them and wiping out whole armies. It's, it says in the scripture that God needs no room for Israel to guess that he's real. He is making himself real. And the word that he is speaking to his servant, Moses, to his children, he's, he's being true too. He is the deliverer coming to deliver his people. Amen. But yet through this great story and this great journey, the children of Israel leaving Egypt, right, after 430 years of captivity, could not leave that altar of slavery. Right, because if the Bible says that every attempt God made to draw near to them, they pushed back. They pushed back on God in unbelief. They pushed back on God moaning and whinging and complaining and looking over their shoulder. It was only ever Moses who was ever able to get to the top of the mountain, right? To be enveloped in the full presence of God, to experience God in his unveiled glory. Why? Because when the Israelites would push back, Moses was a man that chose every time to push in. Amen. He chose to push in. It was who he was. It was in his very nature. I mean, regardless of the hardships, regardless of the enormity and at times impossibility of what he had been called to do, regardless of his inadequacies, he was always going to be a man that would push in to draw near to God. You see, because when Israel saw fear, Moses would see faith. And where Israel, the children, would see thunder and judgment on Mount Sinai, Moses would see a God who is faithful, a God who's loving, a God who wants to fight on behalf of his children, a faithful deliverer. I want to tell you this morning that when you engage in worship and choose to draw near, you can change how you see God. Worship changes your perspective on God. It takes you from the outer core into the Holy of Holies. Worship is something that can bring us in behind the veil to experience the very heart of God. I mean, I believe all those many years back then, God didn't set a bush ablaze in the desert to get Moses' attention. I believe he set a bush on fire in the desert to see if Moses would be a person of character who would choose to draw near. God wanted to see if he would be someone that would instinctively go, what is this I'm drawing near? Because at the very heart of worship is the decision you and I make to draw near. When Moses looked at, when God looked at Moses, he didn't see inadequacy. He didn't see lack of qualification. What God saw was a man willing to draw near. And that willingness flagged him as a person that God could use to fulfill his promise to the children of Israel. Amen. Because here's the deal. When the chips are down and the weight is on and things are getting ugly, God just knew which way Moses was going to run to him, into the tabernacle, up the mountain. Moses wasn't the kind of guy that was God, hide me under the rock. No, it was God, place me in the cleft of the rock that I may see your presence, that I may see you, that I can just behold your glory. That's who he was. That was in the very fabric of who he was. We know that that was in the same heart and fabric knitted into the, to the, the, the general of, of the time, Joshua. Exodus 33, 9 to 11 says this, As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of the cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of the cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance to the tent. The Lord would speak with Moses uh, face to face as, a friend, uh, as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young age, Joshua, son of Nun, 
did not leave the tent. Why? Well, perhaps in him was the same desire to draw near to God. Perhaps in him was the same longing to come close to the living God. Perhaps that was the very heart that God was looking for in a leader that was to be raised up to take on the baton from Moses and lead the people into the promised land. As I said earlier, that worship is a byproduct of you and I choosing in our lives to draw near to God. And the point I want to make is this, that when we draw near by faith, when you find yourself in the very presence of God, when you are overcome and overwhelmed, the revelation of His love for you, you cannot help but worship. When you understand that He's paid for your life with the blood of His Son, that you are worthy of death, yet He brought you into His family and adopted you and just filled your life with undeserving grace and mercy, you cannot help but worship. Amen? The presence of God touching you and bringing to life the very purpose for which you and I were created, which is worship and communion and connection. So understanding that worship is a heart response to a position of intimacy, the devil comes not to try and stop you worshiping, but to try and stop you drawing near. Because if he can stop you drawing near, if he can break that connection you have with the creator, then he knows he can break your worship. Amen? So the question then begs, how do we cultivate then a, a worship in our lives? And we cultivate worship in our lives by making a decision by faith to draw near. The title of my message this morning is this, even though I will. Turn to your neighbor tell them, even though I will. Even though I will. I want you to stand with me, morning because I believe that this is going to shake up the mindset around worship this morning. Right? I want to look at a story, 2 Samuel 12, 15 to 24. The context of the story is this. We have King Saul, the first king of Israel. He's died. David has finally been exalted as king over Israel. There's great favor upon him. The, the armies of, of Israel have defeated the Philistines, the Ammonites, many other tribes. They've taken ground. They've taken land. So they're dwelling now in relative peace in Jerusalem. And the time and season had come when kings go off to war. We know that David had made the decision for whatever reason to stay in Jerusalem. One evening on the fable evening, we all know the story, David's walking on the palace roof, and what does he see? He sees Bathsheba, wife of Uriah, a general in his army, having a bath. We all know in that moment, David should have turned around, gotten off his roof, come downstairs and moved on with life. But the Bible says he doesn't. He lingers. You and I don't have to be theological scholars to know that in that moment of lingering, he's already in a whole lot of trouble. Amen? The Bible tells us that this woman, Bathsheba, was very beautiful to behold. So the story goes on that he inquires of her, has her brought into the palace. He ends up sleeping with her, and so she conceives a son. She bears a son to David. In the midst of all this mess that David finds himself in, he gets her husband murdered. Um, and God, seeing all this, reveals it to Nathan, a prophet in Jerusalem at the time. And he says, I want you to go to King David and tell him, what he's done wrong, and tell him that the consequence of what he's done wrong is that I'm going to take the life of this newborn baby. And so we pick up the story in 2 Samuel 12, 15. It says that after Nathan had gone home, speaking all this to David, the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife had born to David, and he became ill. David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and spent the nights lying in sackcloth on the ground. The elders of his house stood beside him to get him up from the ground, but he refused. He would not eat any food with them. You've got to understand that this is a picture 
of a broken man, right? David lying prostrate on the floor in sackcloth night after night. He's not eating. He's not drinking. He doesn't want to talk to himself. He's just interceding. He's crying. He's begging God for the life of his son, this newborn baby whose life is now in jeopardy because of his foolish decisions. And I have no doubt that what must have seemed like endless nights of darkness and despair, David overwhelmed with grief and shame and confusion, why did this all go so wrong? You've got to remember, David knew what it was to be in the presence of God. Those years in his father Jesse's fields, tending his sheep, worshipping God, communing with God, knowing the power of God in and through his life to deliver him from lion and bear, to deliver giants before him, the favor of God to anoint him king. There is David walking in the the cool um, spring evening on his palace, finally fulfilling the purpose God had for him in all his glory, in peace. Now he's on the floor in his palace begging God not to take the life of his child that's dying because of what he's done. How did it go so wrong? The story goes on to say that on the seventh day, so this is seven days of David pleading and fasting for his son's life, the child died. David's attendants were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they thought while the child was still living, he wouldn't listen to us when we spoke to him. How can we now tell him the child is dead? He may do something desperate. I just want to pause there for a minute. If you are looking at someone, worrying that if you tell them bad news, they're going to do something desperate, maybe take their life, all hope is lost. David was in a pretty bad place. But David noticed that his attendants were whispering among themselves, and he realized child is dead. Is the child dead? He asked. Yes, they replied. He is dead. Now I want you to follow me on this church. Then David got up from the ground after he had washed, put on lotions, changed his clothes. He went into the house of the Lord and did what? He worshipped. I want to say that again. David, your son is dead. God did not listen to your prayers. He did not heed your fasting. He's taken the life of this little baby anyway. David gets up off the ground, he washes himself, he puts on lotion, he changes his clothes, he goes into the house of the Lord his God, and he worships him. Then he went into his own house, and at the very request of his servants, they served him food, and he ate. Herein lies the beauty, I want to tell you this morning, of God's redemptive power when it comes to worship. It meets you at a point in your life of making a decision by faith, regardless of the outcomes and circumstances, to draw near to God, to pick yourself up from whatever floor you find yourself in, lift your hands before a living God that still loves you, and make a decision by faith to say, I'm still going to worship you. Despite you answering my prayers or not, despite my life falling apart and imploding on me right now, I still make a decision to worship you. I may not be where I want to be in life, but God, you're still God, and so I worship you. God's restorative power is unlocked in your life and mine as you and I respond in our hearts and we choose to draw near. Everybody say, even though I will. Even though I will. David draws himself up, not from a place of joy, not from a place of contentment, not from a place of peace, but rather a place of great angst. Because you've got to understand, at the end of fasting and pleading, God just seems unchanged. He's true to his word. I'm taking the life of your son, and he does it anyway. Now, regardless of this being a representation and the, uh, the wages of David's sin, nothing's a surprise here. David, in that moment, could have been like, God, 
This isn't the God I know. This isn't the God I know. You are a God of mercy and you're a God of grace. And you hear my prayers. You've been so faithful to me all these years. What has this child ever done to you, God? It's a baby. You've taken his life. And I pleaded and begged and cried out and prayed and fasted for days that you would just spare, do anything else but spare his life. God does it. You know, in that moment, David could have just turned around and cursed God. He says, I don't understand you anymore, God. You're not the same God I remember. And he could have walked out of that palace, pushed back on God's sovereignty on his life as king over Israel. But thank God David doesn't, right? Thank God he doesn't. The story goes on to say that his attendants asked him, why are you acting this way? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept, but now that the child's dead, you get up and eat? He answered, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. But now that he is dead, why should I go on fasting? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. I want to tell somebody here this morning that there is nothing more you can do to change the circumstances that you're in. That you've got to stop asking God to revive things in your life that are actually meant to die. Because God wants to put a new song on the inside of you and he's calling you in the season to pick yourself up from the ground, to stop looking over your shoulder at things that God wants to do away with, focus again on God and begin to move forward because there's a new season that's far better than the one you're struggling in, but you've got to let things die and you've got to let things go. You've got to focus on God and get a new song on the inside of you. I want, to, I want you to hear me this morning, church. In your journey with God, in your journey of faith, you will find yourselves at times being brought to a crossroad where your prayers are not being answered, where you feel that God is a million miles, that you've, you've fasted and you believed and you've prayed and you've begged, and the person you love, God's still taken that life. God hasn't provided. The blessing hasn't come. It seems like heaven is shut up on your life. But I want to tell you that in those crossroads, it's not God forsaking you. It's the devil trying to disconnect you. Can I say that again? It's not God trying to forsake you in those crossroads or those crises of your faith. It's where the enemy comes to try and disconnect you. Because if you can break connection, you'll break worship. Amen. Are you hearing me this morning, church? In a moment, you see, on a warm spring evening, the enemy brought into David's life through temptation in a split second, sin that rippled as an effect right through David's life and caused massive destruction. But the goal of that was to cut off David's connection with God. The enemy thought, this is it. I'm going to bury David under a whole heap of guilt and shame and, and bitterness and anger and disappointment and hurt. But to the great dismay of the enemy, what we find, thank God what we find, is a man who is able to draw himself off the floor in the darkest of valleys and say, God, this sucks. God, this is not, I don't understand why you've taken the life of this child. But God, I know you. I know you. This is not this is not you. This is the enemy. And so I'm going to pick myself up. I'm going to wash myself. I'm going to put on new clothes this morning. Church, somebody here, you've got to put on new clothes this morning. You've got to take off the dirty clothes of guilt and shame and the labels you're wearing. And you've got to put on the robe of righteousness. God says, I've always given it to you. When my son died, it was made available to you. But you've got to learn how to put it on. 
It's by a decision by faith you and I make to do it. David raises his arm up and says, in the midst of all this darkness and pain, I know where I've got to go. I've got to go into the house of God. And I've got to worship him. And I've got to lift my hands and praise him. I want to tell you when the devil pulls the plug on your life and things go dark, you've got to say, great. I love it, Doc. I worship better. There's less distractions. Amen. Come on. God, I love you. You're going to switch up the lights. I'm going to still keep praising. You're going to shout. I'm going to shout louder. The last thing you will find is me ever walking out of the house of God because he's still the great I am. He sent his son to die on a cross for my life. I am saved. I've been given a gift of eternal life. That alone qualifies worship from my mouth until the day God takes me home. Amen. When that becomes your heart response, church, I'm telling you, there is nothing the enemy can do to defeat you. Amen. When that becomes your heart cry, John 4, 23 says, yet a time is coming. And has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. This is what it means to worship in spirit and truth. The even though I will kind of worship. I want you to listen to me this morning, church. God doesn't want pretense. He doesn't want falsehood. It's not about standing in the house of God with a smile on the face because you're a Christian. and That's what you should do. God says, just come to me as you are. Things may not be great, come anyway. You may feel like a fraud and a failure, come to me anyway. Because there is a redemptive power that God releases when you stand in that place of worship. Restorative power rests in true worship. Then David, the end of the story says, And David comforted his wife Bathsheba. He went to her and made love to her. And she gave birth to a son and they named him Solomon. And the Lord loved him. This is the amazing thing about God. Out of that very place of despair and brokenness, in a whole lot of mess, right? A whole lot of brokenness. God can create something significant, something out of beauty when we choose to draw near. I want you to hear me this morning. It's not your job to try and fix the brokenness yourself. God says, that's what I will do. That's why my son went to the cross for you. Bring your brokenness. Bring your mess. All I want to know is that you will choose to draw near. And if you do, I will take what is broken. I'll take what is hopeless. I'll take what is a mess. And I will do something beautiful with it. Amen. Here's David knowing Bathsheba a second time, sleeping with a woman again that wasn't his wife. Why all of a sudden was this now pleasing to God? Because I believe David's heart was different. His heart response was different. It was full of worship. God saw a man that had a whole lot of even though I will worship on the inside of him. That David lay under God's correction, under God's mercy, under God's grace, and chose to stand up and make a decision to surrender. He chose to bear open his heart and come close to a God that loves him. Even though in my pain and brokenness and confusion, you're still God. And I choose to worship you. I want you to hear me. This is the message I want to get across to you. Even in the midst of pain and brokenness, if you would make a decision by faith, not by feeling, but by faith, to pick yourselves up, come back into a place of surrender with God and say, God, you are merciful and you are gracious. And my name is written in your Lamb's book of life and you know all my days. I don't see it, but you do. So because of that, I will worship. Maybe things aren't great in your marriage. Worship God. 
Maybe your kids are astray and you don't understand how to get them back into the family. Worship God. Maybe you're struggling with health and the fear of not knowing where it's going to end. Worship God. With the last few breaths you have, worship God. I'm going to get the worship team up if I can this morning. But isn't it interesting that out of that restored relationship with God and David came Solomon, through which we have the bloodline of Christ, the Son of God, come into the world to redeem human mankind. From the very beginning, God had a plan that I am going to send a Savior to the bloodline of King David. No wonder the enemy tried to cut off David's connection with God. Because he could see, if I can only just break this connection, man, things would change. But you know what? Thank God. Thank God. I want you to think about that for a minute. We stand here this morning. The redemption story played out. Jesus came to this world because of one man's decision to pick himself off the floor and walk into the house of God and say, I will worship you, God, regardless. I will worship you, God, because... You are the great I am. Through that obedience came Jesus Christ. And here we are today. Can we stand this morning? Psalm 71, 20 says, Though you have made me see troubles, many and bitter, you will restore my life again. From the depths of the earth, you will, you will again bring me up. You will increase my honor and comfort me once more. Church, I'm telling you that you and I serve a God who loves you, a God who is faithful, a God who wants to restore you and redeem you, a God who wants to bring hope back into your life. And maybe you're finding yourselves at that crossroad of faith right now, where for some, some reason or another, you're in a season where everything's quiet and you're not getting the, the answer to prayer you need. You're not getting the healing you need. You're not getting the breakthrough in finances you need. It seems like every time you go to open the Bible, there's just nothing. I want to tell you at a crossroad, and you have a decision to make. And if you would just pick yourself up off the floor and say, God, I don't understand. God, I'm hurting. God, I'm broken. God, this is, I don't know if I can get through this valley. But one thing I can do, I can worship. And I can lift my hands. And I can offer myself as a living sacrifice on your altar. God, would you not leave nor forsake me? As your son David, God, I come and I lift up the name of Jesus because you saved my life. I wasn't worthy. I didn't deserve it. But you came and you gave it to me anyway. God, I worship. You paid for my life with the son whom you loved. You sent him to be, to be crucified, brutally on a cross, for no other reason than you loved me. God, I'm so grateful for that, that I come and I worship. God, my marriage is falling apart. My kids don't want to talk to me. I don't have work anymore. I've just been given bad, bad news from the doctor. God, I'm coming into your house and I'm going to worship you. God, there's power in worship. There's power in worship. Right now, that's you. I don't want anyone to hear it. I just want you to give me a away for somebody very quickly hand up in the air and say Justin would you pray with me would you pray with me I'm fighting something in my life and I don't understand it I want to tell you to come back to the altar of God and simply lift your hands say God here I am God here I am 
son and daughter of the Most High. Here I am. God, take me as I am. All my frustrations, all my fears, I bring them to you this morning. God, and I choose to work. I choose, even though I will worship. Even though I will. I'm going to ask the worship team just to lead us in beautiful Jesus. And right now, I just want you just for a moment to make a decision. Why don't you rededicate that decision by faith, the crossroads of faith to go, God, even though I will worship this morning. Come on. In my heart, Let my heart turn again to the wonder of the Holy Spirit. To the near side of the Holy Spirit. To the Somebody this morning, you're going to be okay. God's got you in his hands. Precious daughter, you're going to be okay. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He is for you. He knows the very hairs on your head. He's counting your steps. He knows your dreams. He's with you. He's for you. Just lift your hands and worship. Father, we lift up the name of Jesus. God, we come and we just declare that we will be a church that worships. God, we stand on the altar and we worship. We worship on the mountains. We worship in the valleys. We worship in the light and in the dark. God, we are worshipers and we come and we worship the one who is worthy, Jesus. We lift up the name of Jesus. Devil, we tell you when all is lost, we will worship. We will lift up the name of Jesus because he is worthy. You may knock us down, but we're not staying down. We pick ourselves up and we continue. We push forward. We keep looking up to the author and finisher of our faith. All glory belongs to the great I am. He is worthy. He is worthy. He is worthy. Right now, I thank you, God. Chains are breaking. Breakthroughs coming. Weights are lifting. Father, we worship God. Let your power come. Holy Spirit, come. Begin to minister to your people. Father, I thank you. It's a new day. Hope is arising. It's a new day, God. We lift up the beautiful name of Jesus. Come on, church. Come on, I want you to step out by faith this morning. If that's you, lift those hands. God, I don't understand, but right now what I can do is I can worship. If that's you, worship, worship, worship. Angel. Father, right now we come, we speak into depression. You're broken in Jesus' name. We worship. We speak into that spirit of suicide. You're broken. We worship. There is life and there is hope and there is faith in this house. We come against that spirit of darkness. We break it in Jesus' name. There is freedom and there is life. We worship the one who took it all on the cross. We worship the one who took it all on the cross. Who overcame. He's not dead. He's living, church. Come on. Come on. 
Thanks for listening to the C3 Church Noosa podcast. For more life-changing messages, visit us online at c3noosa.org. If you've been blessed by this message, please consider partnering with us financially to see the work of God continue flourishing in and through C3 Church Noosa. God bless.